Okay. Um, thank you all so much for joining me today. Before I begin, I need to pray. Father God, we just come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for just being full-time in our life. Um, God, I ask that you lead me in this discussion. Allow me to discuss everything that I need to today, Father God. I just pray that you please allow your word to just resonate on our hearts in a way where it changes our belief system and we could change our lives by allowing the Holy Spirit to be authorized as the, you know, number one driving force in our life, God. We want to be obedient to you, pleasing to you, God. So just please allow us to do that. So keep our hearts soft and melted for you, God. Allow us to crave your word, a crave crave the things that you want. Let's crave a relationship with you each and every day of our lives, God. So we just thank you right now, Father God, that greater is the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us than the Spirit is in this world. And so, God, we just ask that you just continue to give us a double portion of your love, mercy, and grace. Allow us to keep your word and retain it in our hearts no matter what, God. Do not allow anything in this world to reshape our hearts into a negative way. God, but we just ask you to transform our minds. Do not let us be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So please allow us to receive your word in a way where it's planted deep and rooted in us, where it's water deep and rooted in us, God, and uproot all the things in us that is displeasing and disobedient to you. God, and replace it with those things that are pleasing and obedient and satisfying to you, Father God. And, and we just want to be able to please you, God. So what we ask is that you convict our hearts for any and everything that is displeasing to you, God, until we turn away from it completely. And then just allow us to live in your purpose each and every day of our life. So for today, God, we just ask, please allow your word to resonate in our hearts and our lives. And most importantly, God, we just want you to allow us to be in obedience to you. But most importantly, Father, we ask that your will be done in our life. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is still in your atonement blood. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining me today on Laws, Life, and Health. Let's talk about it. So I have interesting, interesting discussion to talk about today. So let me just go ahead and get right started into the word. Um, so I wanted to talk about a few things. Uh, let me go to this Bible verse. It is, um, we're going to go to James chapter one, James chapter one and um, verse 19. So we started at verse 19 here. Okay. Um, it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, you know, God has gifted us with two ears so that we can listen as twice as much as we speak. But many times, you know, we are always on, we, 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 sometimes we have the urge to talk. Sometimes we're anxious to speak. We're anxious to sort of give our response to things many times when we're having conversations with people. But, you know, God really wants us to be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry because when we speak too fast sometimes we can get angry about things um when we don't listen enough that means we fall short of understanding every single thing about the conversation or everything about the situation so it's, it's good for us to learn how to listen 
and be, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And verse 20 says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Right? So we see that that happened also with um, Cain. Cain um, allowed anger. Anger was knocking at his door. Anger was about to consume him, meaning that he was giving in to anger when it came to his brother, uh, Abel. He was upset with his brother because of the fact that his brother gave his first um, born of his flock, first first fruits to God as a, um, as a sacrifice to God. But, you know, Cain gave his crumbs. He gave the crumbs to God. And so that wasn't a pleasing, a pleasing offering to God. So Abel's offering was better, you know. So he favored Abel. God favored Abel and didn't favor Cain. So when we look at these type of things, we see that in verse 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So anger had consumed Cain which caused him to go and kill his brother. So anger is not something that will ever be able to produce righteousness. So no matter what happens um, in any conversation, it doesn't matter what the conversation is about. You have to make sure that you're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We see that Jesus, when he was here on earth in the, in the Gospels of, of the Bible, which is in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it talks about the life of Jesus and stuff. Those are considered the Gospels. And so when Jesus was here, he did listen to the Pharisees. He did listen to the, some of the things that he, they asked him. He answered their questions most of the time. It wasn't up to, it wasn't feasible to them, like up to their standards with the way Jesus was answering things. But see, Jesus knew what was in their heart. So he didn't have to do anything at, you know, like extraordinary. So God, when he manifested on earth, he was 100% man and 100% God. And so we see that, you know, Jesus, he would, when he was here, he didn't use his earthly power. I mean, he didn't use his, um, he didn't use his, his power to uh, defend himself, although he was 100% God and 100% man. And so we have to see and understand that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So Jesus did not get mad. He did not, you know, um, have those type of things here on earth. He did get mad when they were uh, in the temple, you know, like turning the house of God into a house of thieves and stuff like that. Um, but we see like throughout the Bible, um, so many confirmations within the Bible that human anger does not produce any type of righteousness and um, that God desires. So looking at verse 21, it says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is prevalent and and um humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you so in order for um god to be prevalent in your life you have to accept the word of god that has been planted in your heart you have to accept the word that god has been able to speak into your life through people through his word um and all of that so we see that um Moral filth is something that God wants us to get rid of. So get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So we, we know that the word of God, it can save us. The word of God saves us. So in verse 22, 
do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself do do what the word says so anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like so we see that people are um going to read the word but they're deceiving themselves if you if you read something and you don't apply it in your life it's like why are you doing it it's it's, it's meaningless right it's like okay you know that you're supposed to pay your bills but if you do not pay your bills what do you think will happen to your livelihood so it's so important to understand that bills is something that is a requirement here living in the land of the living so when you live here on earth in the land of the living where people are you know living life in a way where they have you have to pay bills you have to pay rent you have to either pay mortgage and you have to have to pay all of these different things that's associated with obeying the law of the land as the word of god tells us to do right and so in order for us to do that we shouldn't just read something and don't apply what we need to right okay so it's like okay you go to work and then you go and you spend all of your money it's like for me i i just knew that when you work you're supposed to invest you don't work to just pay bills that is not something that you're supposed to do you don't get up every single day of your life just to live a life of paying a bill. I mean, that would be meaningless, right? So you want to have multiple income revenues. And in order to be able to do that, how do you do that? You're supposed to work. Make sure you have cushion. You save your money. You invest in other outlets. You, um, you're making sure that you're not working just to pay bills because that's not what life is about. You, you work. And you live a life of abundance because that's the way that God wants you to live. But you have to be wise in a way that you do that. So if you're just living like everyone else, then you're going to live a life just waking up every day, going to a job just to pay a bill. And that isn't living in abundance. And so don't just listen to the word in the same way. Don't just listen to the word of God. You listen to it. But you're, how are you applying it? What what principles are you taking with you? Right. It's like, an, and for instance, if you meet a millionaire and a millionaire tells you how to build credit, how to make the necessary investments, but you say you want to have financial freedom. But if you really want financial freedom, what are you doing in order for you to build financial freedom in your life? So if you want good credit, but you're not doing anything that it takes for you to build good credit, how are you trying to build good credit? So, for instance, if you are trying to obtain a job, what are you doing to secure that employment, right? Um, it takes effort, not just effort, but it takes action on your part, right? Because no one can show up in place for you. No one can show up and do the job for you. No one can show up in your place at school. No one can show up in your place at your place of employment so you have to show up and when you show up you show up with god and so in the same way in these same aspects you have to make sure that the things that you listen to in the word that you are applying what you need to apply in your life so do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves but do what it says right so when so, a lot of times when some people are saying oh okay so 
There is nothing wrong with fornicating. There's nothing wrong with sex. There's nothing wrong with this. You know, but there is something wrong with it when God says, do not fornicate, right? Do not, right? And then we see in verse 21, get rid of all moral filth, right? So that's not something that we should be doing. Why? Because you're transferring the spirits, you're soul tying with someone else. You're doing things that this is unethical. This is an unethical practice in the eyes of God, right? It is considered sexual and moral, right? So just because this is something that you think that is okay, but the word of God says is not, why are you doing it? So if the word of God tells you to wives, submit unto your husbands as you do unto the Lord, but then you say, oh no, I'm not going to listen to a man. A man is not going to control me. This man is not going to tell me what to do in my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. In my life, no one is going to tell me what to do in my life. It's like, okay, yes, you have a life, but you say you believe in God, but why aren't you valuing marriage? So why is it okay for you to be in a sinful relationship, a sexual immorality for five years, for 10 years, for 15 years, but it's not okay for you to uphold the principles and standards that God wants you to do in marriage right so why are these principles sort of thrown thrown out when god is telling us hey look this is something that this is something that you should do like a man leaves his father and mother and he's united unto his wife and the two become one flesh this is what the bible tells us it didn't say for you to stay in in a relationship for five years committing fornication the Bible doesn't tell us to go out here and select someone else's husband to be your boyfriend. The Bible doesn't sponsor the ideology or idea for you to go out and pick someone's wife to be your girlfriend. So adultery in these fornicating practices is something that is shown upon. This is not something that we should be doing no matter how much your fleshly desires are lurking within you telling you, this is what my body wants to do. I want to have sex. I want to do this. I want that. That is just something that you shouldn't do. So understand in James 1 and 22, God is saying to us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and then he immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And so what this is saying is, okay, don't don't just keep looking and listening to the word to the point where you deceiving yourself. It's like, okay, you say you believe in God, but do you really practice what God is wanting you to do? Are you valuing the principles of marriage? And if you're not valuing the principles of marriage, go back to the other verse. Go back to the other verse in verse 21. 
get up rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So we have, if you love God, if you want to understand God, you have to be, it starts with you accepting what his word says. It isn't about what you believe. It isn't about, well, I think that my flesh, this is what my body wants. This is what I want to do. You know, you, you have to refocus on your wants and say, okay, see your wants are something that could lead you to stress. Your wants are leading you to depression. Your wants are leading you to disaster. Your wants are leading you to demise. Your own demise. So in order for us to be um, living a life of abundance, right? We need to pay attention to what the word of God says. So God said, the word says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. The perfect law that gives freedom. So I want to go, I want to switch focus and kind of go to the, I want to go to the Strong's Concordance. So let me go to the Strong's Concordance. One second. Okay, so this is a new thing. Uh, hold on a second, please. I'm trying to get to it. Okay. So that is Bible Hub. Oh, Lord Jesus, let me get to this. Let's see here. Okay. Um, that is not it. One second here. It should be here somewhere. Okay, baby, this is it. Let me just go here. One second. Okay, let me pull this up. I apologize. Just give me one moment, everyone. Lord Jesus, help me, God. Okay. Should be here. I don't know why it's not coming up. It should be coming up for me. 
Here we go. All right, there we go. So I got it to come up. So now what I like to go to, let me go back to the, uh, the Bible right here. That I was just on. Oh, Lord. Okay, so I'm going to go back to James. Go back here to James. Okay. So this is James chapter 1. James 1. So I'm going to go to the King James Bible. So now, what I would like to do is look at the King James Version. What we do is, when we're looking at something through the, the Strong's Concordance, we have to analyze it through the, the King James Bible. So, the Strong's Concordance are comprised of the Holy Bible, which is the Old Testament of the Hebrew Scrolls, and the New Testament, which is written in Greek. And so you have hundreds of scholars that have interpreted the word of God through the Hebrew scrolls, which is in the Old Testament. And like the first five books of the Bible, which is Genesis, Leviticus, I'm sorry, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. The first five books are considered the Torah, which is also considered the law of the Bible. And so this allows us to understand God's law. And the New Testament, which is in Matthew, Mark, Matthew through the book of Revelation, that's all written in Greek. And so the first four books of the New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so that is considered the gospel. So anytime we want to analyze the word of God from um, the Hebrew translations or the Greek translation, we're going to look at the Strong's Concordance, right? And so we have to actually identify the words that is written in the King James Bible and then go ahead and get it interpreted. So the strong concordance allows us to interpret the word. So for instance, looking here at the uh, strong concordance, I'm going to type in the word. I'm going to type in the word. Let's look at this. Okay. So in verse um, James chapter one, verse 23, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso, but whoso look, looketh into the perfect law of liberty. So that's what we're going to look at, at. Let's look at um, the. Uh, liberty let's look at the word liberty and so typing liberty in the Bible in the strong's concordance is going to tell us each time that this was written in the holy bible so the word liberty has been written in the holy bible 25 times it has 12 different translations of the word liberty and so we're going to look at specifically um james and so James chapter one, verse 25, um, is going to be Strong's number one, six, five, seven, which 
is liberty, right? So the way we pronounce liberty, and since this is the book of James, it's going to be written in Greek, um, which is the New Testament. And so we're going to pronounce this word, eleutheria, eleutheria, eleutheria. Okay, it means freedom, legitimate or licentious, chiefly moral or ceremonial, liberty. So God wants us to look in freedom, having freedom, perfect law of freedom. This allows us to be a doer of the word. So um, verse 25, but whoso looking into the perfect law of liberty and continue it therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deeds. So freedom, we want to have freedom. All right, so it really means it's it's similar to the word liberty here, um, according to the dictionary too. So let's look at the word door. Let's look that up. Okay. Okay. Okay, so the word door is mentioned in the Bible eight times. Okay, and so we're going to look at James 1 and 25. The word door is in Greek. It is pronounced poietis, poietis. Um, it means a performer, a poet. So you're going to be able to perform and do exactly what God wants you to do, a poet. So the word of God has a lot of poetry in it. You understand the word of God has so much poetry, a lot of poetry. Okay. The word of God has philosophy in there. It has some archeology span in there. It has many artifacts in, in the Bible that has been um, found. The Bible has so much. It has prophecy. The Bible is just fascinating, right? So when we look at the word door, it means to be a poet, a poet, okay? That's what we're supposed to be, a performer, a poet, understanding the word of God. All right, so let's let's move forward here. So now that we understand the word liberty and we understand the word door, all right, let's, I wanted to look into some things today that I was speaking about the other day in regards to, hold on, I need to, I need to close some things out here. Let's see. Okay. So looking on women's health, I wanted to talk about Margaret Sanger. Um, and so that's gonna be some of what I'm gonna talk about today. But before I do that, I was listening to um uh Jordan Peterson and how he changes Bill Mayer's mind on the Bible. I wanted to talk about that for a little bit. Okay, so I have a video that I would like to play uh, that I would like to play um and really sort of discuss this. Okay. Okay. So, but before I get into that, there are a couple different ways that we are supposed to understand the Bible. Now, let me just explain it. So, theology basically is studying the Bible, studying scriptures in the Bible. Eschatology is understanding 
Bible prophecy in the future. Okay. Hermeneutics is like a way to understand the Bible and how you interpret the understanding of the Bible. So there are a couple different ways that people interpret the Bible. We have, um, let me, let me first go over some of that so that that way we can understand when, when people are speaking about the Bible, all right, this is something that you need to pay attention to. There are some people when they speak about it, they are speaking from a perspective of exegesis or eisegesis. So I would like to give you all the full definition of what these terms mean. Okay, so looking forward we're going to look at the word um i'm gonna give you the, the exact definition of uh so i've already given you the definition of theology that's the study of the word of god um the holy bible eschatology the study of bible prophecy in the future hermeneutics is a way to study the bible okay and so many you have so many scholars from around the world that studies the Bible through hermeneutics. And how is hermeneutics practiced? Well, there are two different ways. It's exegesis. Exegesis, let me give you the, the exact meaning of exegesis. So exegesis is studying the word of God and the interpretation of the actual text. So you're looking at the word for what the word of God says. Now, eisegesis is studying the word of God through reading into it. So, for instance, many people, when they, let me, let me give you the clear definition. Exegesis. It's exegesis. Exegesis. Okay. Exegesis is spelled E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. It's basically the critical explanation or interpretation of a text, especially of scripture, the task of biblical exegesis. All right. So a good example of exegesis is utilized when trying to describe why we don't greet with a holy kiss or welcome guests into our homes by washing their feet. That's exegesis. So we explain these things in a way where we literally read it exactly what it says. So let's look at eisegesis. So eisegesis, eisegesis here is the interpretation of a text as of the Bible by reading into its one's own ideas. So when you look at the Bible and you, you're analyzing it from your own perspective, that means you're depending on your own knowledge and you're not fully being, fully allowing the Holy Spirit of God to lead you into understanding that text. So a person interprets the word of God from their own level of understanding of the ideas of the Bible and what they believe the Bible should say. Exegesis is going to read the Bible to you and, and give you an explanation based off of what is actually being said. So I wanted to go to this Jordan Peterson um, video changes. He changes Bill Mayer's mind on the Bible. And so let's look at this. I'm going to play some snippets here and then analyze them. And then I want to kind of like go and um, reflect back on the, on this actual uh, video and and um, get you all to understand it from like a eugenics perspective. Okay, 
All right, here we go. What happens when Bill Maher sits down with Jordan Peterson for over an hour and inevitably the topic of God and the Bible comes up? Now, if you don't know who Bill Maher is, he is an atheist comedian who's mocked religion the majority of his comedic life. But. Okay, and now what I would like to say before he continues that many atheists um i have found some statistics on this on um i believe it should be on my blog uh where it talks about life where is the instruction manual uh it says about 10 percent of atheists actually believes um that there is a a higher power so um many atheists they they know that no i'm sorry it's only 10 percent of atheists that that do not believe that there is a higher power. So many, mainly majority of all of them know that there is a higher power that exists. So many times when you get into a deep in-depth conversation with some atheists, I'm not, I said some, not all, um, usually it is something that has happened in their lives in a way where they were triggered to not believe in God. Maybe they felt that God didn't answer their question god um allows certain things to happen to them so they they feel that they don't believe in any god they usually are self-driven and self-governed um so that is what atheists believe um i want to give you the exact definition of atheists so that there isn't any confusion around their beliefs so i just gave it to you in, in layman's terms but an atheist is a person who disbelieves or lacks belief in the existence of god or gods he is committed to atheism okay so let's look at this and um bill mayor doesn't he's an atheist so let's listen up here this video we're gonna have to take a look so this is from the hour and five minute mark in his conversation with Jordan Peterson. If you guys don't know, uh, Jordan Peterson is has been speaking very highly of the Bible lately. And, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of figure out exactly where he is in terms of, does he believe in the bodily resurrection? But we, we do know, he holds a very high view of scripture, to say the least, whether you take it literally or not. And so uh, we're gonna be jumping into this clip. I got my guy Ray Rock with me. Heads up. Had your kids, had your wife. Explicit, explicit, explicit. All right, we are going to jump into this clip. So this is from his latest uh, episode called Club Random with Bill Maher. And this is this just came out um, not too long ago. So let's jump in. I was there when we were making Religious. That was like yeah. one of the places. And this is the one with Lot's wife. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like I studied this and I didn't remember these like intricate permutation there yeah. where he was he god was bargained down to 10 people yeah yeah that's actually it, why they go to started it. to look for the for the 10 people so this is on the back of jordan peterson explaining the sodom and gomorrah story to bill maher and bill maher is like man i made a whole documentary mocking religion i didn't know that this was a thing i didn't know that this was communicating this had so much depth i'm not gonna go over how uh Jordan Peterson describes it because he's actually going to go into another biblical story story that I think he does a fantastic job describing. So check this out. But it started at 40. Started at 40. I, mean, I just love the way they love the Bible and it's the greatest book and they swear on it, but it has these things that are like comically stupid and, and corrupt. I mean, God is so corrupt in the Bible. Look at, look at, look at, uh, look at Jordan Peterson's body language here. He's like, stupid, corrupt. 
comically stupid. I mean, you can bargain with <laughs> humans. You know, he does things that are so capricious and cruel and, you know, petty. I mean, he's very Trumpian. Well, you know? I've, been, I've been walking. I released a series on, started to release it yesterday on YouTube on, on the story of Exodus. And it's a 16-part series, 32 hours on wow. Exodus. Yeah, I have. Have you seen any of this series, Ray? Oh, the, I, I've the, seen. The Exodus? I've seen oh, bits and pieces that have been yeah. coming out, and they're crazy. Yeah. yeah, the interesting part is how he's able to drive back biblical themes into these narrative ideas with deeper points mm -hmm. um, that I think add a lot of value, whether or not you're taking all of it literally. Now, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible with the parts that are literal, it meant to be taken literal, but he will extract value from parts without getting into the fundamentalist argument of everything is literal. Yeah, he leans into the philosophy of life, and he leans into our our natural propensity to, to think about things philosophically. Uh, whether you believe in God or not, yep, yep. you know, we, we, we tend to think about life yep, yep, a lot. Yep, okay, so check this out. So he does it here again. Had nine people come down, and I've been I've been walking through the biblical corpus. That was actually something I wanted to talk to you today about. He, he's like, I came for the smoke. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about this, Mr. Pilmar. Okay. Yeah, well, I love it that you're a real professor. You can tell me what you make of this. It's like the it's a reflection of the fact that human beings bargain with fate all the time. We bargain with the future all the time. So so here's how we do it. So this is what you teach your kids. You teach your kids that if you forego immediate gratification. So you give it up, sacrifice it, because that's a sacrifice. That the future will be better as a consequence. Well, that's okay. It's a contractual relate. Well, that's what's trying. That's right. That's the thing that's so interesting is that it actually will. If you don't have that piece of cake tonight, yeah, you'll be healthier tomorrow. Right, right. And if you, if you, if you, if you I don't, love how Jordan Peterson is like walking him through, like, yeah, uh huh. And this is what the Bible teaches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to show you that, 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 that all these uh -huh. stories you think are stupid actually make a lot of sense <laughs> go off and play with your friends immediately after school but you know play piano for 20 minutes then right. in in 10 years when you're actually a musician all sorts right. of other, okay so so but but it's see this is something that's very uniquely human because human beings have learned that if we give up there are certain forms of immediate gratification if we give them up which means we offer them up it's a sacrificial offering then we can make a covenant a bargain with the future right right that's what's being reflected in those stories where the notion is that you can bargain with god i I love all that shit. I went to Cornell. I took a Bible course, but all the stuff I took, I knew I was going to be a comedian, so I didn't like take any courses for any other reason why. Then, oh, this looks interesting, mm -hmm. and I'm a liberal arts major, and so like all those courses where they go into such detail and they really delve into to going over the text in a way that they try to understand how those people were thinking, mm -hmm. and that to me is the is just delicious academia. I mean, the Bible is so well known, even by people who haven't read it. And by the way, a lot of the people who put their hand on it and love it so much, I've never read it. Certainly not all the way through. It's a big, long book. Yes, it, it is. It's and it's, you know, full of most monthly nonsense. Once in a while, it stumbles upon wisdom. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, uh, she said, man, it's, man, it's, uh, it's full of mostly nonsense, but sometimes it stumbles across. The, the, by the way, the, this may be the most positive thing I've ever heard Bill Maher say about the yeah. Bible. This is crazy. But uh, come on, you, you got to give these people their due. I mean, it was written, at, first of all, it's an anthology. I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. A Bible story? Say, well, Bible story. This is, this is Jordan Peterson. I love your Bible story. Okay, this is a Bible story. So, okay, so before before we get into the Jordan Peterson Bible story, I got to make sure you guys know about something super special we have coming up that I... Okay, so I'm going to fast forward this here. This is one of the new people. And I'm thinking about wiping them out. But you can maybe go there and tell them like how foolish they are, and they'll straighten up, and then I won't have to destroy the city. And, jo and, and Jonah thinks, there's no one going to do that. First of all, 
Nineveh is a city of his enemies. Babylonia. It's, 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 it's a city that he's right. not he's not allied with. And so he thinks, right. well, you guys can go to hell in handbasket, and if God wipes you out, that's perfectly fine with me. Right. And then right. he also thinks, like any wise man would, it's like, I see, this is the task you have for me. Like, <laughs> there's 150,000 people there. I'm a foreigner. I'm a... Um, is, Ray, is it me, or are the angle, the camera angles on this driving me nuts? No, like, what is, okay, what so is he's, this angle? Who directed this? Hold on, I'm I, just trying I to get think. to the point, everybody. Well, turns out that God's not very happy if you're informed that you have something to say and then you don't say it. So the storms come and the waves rise and now the ship's uh, in danger. Okay, so what does that mean? In the whale. It, yes, that's right. It means that if you don't say what you have to say when you're called upon to say it, you'll put the whole damn ship at risk. Now, the soldiers figure this out. Interesting, right? Beautiful. The way he's pulling out the, the value from this stuff, right, mm -hmm. is... is it's very interesting. I will say he kind of drives it back to a very like self-serving, self-centered perspective. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he's able to extract value from the story is still fascinating. Absolutely. Or the sailors, they figure out, oh, there must be someone on boat that like isn't right with God, and that's why we're in danger of being swamped. So they will go and ask everybody, and Jonah, to his credit, says, yeah, it's me. You know, I, I had the voice of conscience made itself manifest to me. I had a task to do. I refused it. I'm screwing things up. And he parallels the voice of conscience with the voice of God. Okay, so I'm going to stop it right there. Right. Um, so this sounds like a very, it sounds interesting. The way that Jordan B. Um, Peterson is actually explaining the word of God. Um, but think about this. In order for people to understand the word of God, they have to be willing to accept it they have to be willing to you know um want to know about god they they need to want to understand these things you need to be curious about it right and so like he's the bill mayor is is curious about what jordan peterson is going to say on this issue this is why he's sitting here listening to him so i wanted to go over the story that he's talking about he's talking about in genesis 19 1 and 29 where it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. And so um, let me, let's read some of this. Um, it's kind of like a long story, but I, I want to go over it. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want to go over some of it so that you all can like fully understand this. So Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed um, simply because they were doing things. They were um, having a lot of sexual immorality in the, in the city. They were doing things that was abominations against God. They did not care. Um, so let's look here. We can actually, if you want to, you can go back to Genesis chapter 18 and you can read about the entire story about um, that's leading up to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah getting destroyed. And so we have the two angels. Um, and this is Genesis 19 and verse 1 through 29. So it says, the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. So now we see that there are angels coming in, right? Two. Remember this. This is key. Two angels. So when he saw them, he got up to meet them and he bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered. We will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and enter his house. So he prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Um, before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. 
Okay, you see all the men from every part of the city surrounded the house, right? Young and old. They called Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? So understand this. Now I wanna I want to point out this one thing. When you look in verse one, it says the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. So there were angels that were speaking to Lot. There were angels that was in, in Lot's home. But instead of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah seeing these people as angels, these, these men, um, these two angels as angels, instead they saw them as men. So this is something that is already like their eyes are already blinded. They've already been deceived because they can't even identify an angel from a human being, right? And so this is a problem. Like so many times you see that there are people out here that are just listening to whatever they want to listen to and hearing whatever it is that they want to hear without seeking God first, without understanding what God is saying, without hearing, without seeing right um even though they see they don't really see they they think that these are men these are regular men when in fact these are angels right so they they are so deceived to the point where they can't even identify angels when they see them they're looking at these angels as men so that's one that's the the first sign of deception is when a person can actually you can see something that they can't see and they can't really see it because they are not really trying to see it so in verse 5 it says they called to lot where are the men who came to you tonight bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them they so gone so far off of their their um sexual immorality right with sleeping around with men and men and women sleeping with women that they are not even aware of the fact that they are speaking about the angels that god just sent down there these are angels but they don't need they can't even tell that they're angels this is how far deceived they are so if you look in verse six it says lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said no my friends don't do this wicked thing look i have two daughters who have never slept with a man let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them but don't do anything to these men to but don't do anything let's see don't do this wicked thing look i have two daughters who have never slept with a man let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them but don't do anything to these men for they have come under the protection of my roof so lot he have to basically speak to them in a way where they understand and so he's speaking to them and saying okay well you know these men when in fact lot knew that they were not men lot knew that they were angels you understand but since they spoke about the angels like they were men lot spoke about them too the people of Sodom and Gomorrah like they were men when in fact they were not they were angels in verse 9 it says get out of our way they replied this fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge we'll treat you worse than them they kept bringing pressure on lot and moved forward to break down the door but the men inside reached out and pulled lot back into the house and shut the door 
Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. So you understand, they, they are already blind. They're, they're blinded spiritually. So now they are about to be blinded physically um, with the curse by the angels that was God sent down there to Lot. So now that they're blinded spiritually, they're also blinded physically now with the curse. They, they basically struck them with blindness. Um, in verse 12, the two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So you understand, like when there are things that are going on that are so wicked and so bad that it's filled with just all types of evil, there are going to be children of God that are going to be talking and praying to the Lord about the things that are going on around them, right? This is considered an outcry to the Lord, right? And so that we see this in verse 13 where it talks about because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So in verse 14, Lot, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. Right. So people are going to be thinking that you joking about the word or they're going to be joking about the word of God because why? They're spiritually deceived. Right. And so with them being spiritually deceived, I'm going to get into another scripture about having that um, deception. But look at here. It says here they thought that he was joking. When in fact, he wasn't. So they are so deceived that you can't even tell them anything at all, right? It's like they have believed these forms of deception to the point where they can't even receive any other truths. So in verse 15, it says, With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. So when he hesitated, the men grabs his hand in the hands of his wife, and of his two daughters, and he led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. So as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my Lord, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This is disaster will overtake me and I'll die. So look, here's a town near enough to run to and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is a very small, it is very small, isn't it? Then my life would be spared. He says to them, very well, I will grant this request to you. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zor. Um, by the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur, burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. So from the Lord, the Lord sent this out, out of the heavens. Thus, he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation and the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. 
So a lot of times when God is trying to explain something to you and God is trying to show you something, it's like, okay, you, you have to go back to your belief system. You have to go back to like, okay, well, I wasn't raised to believe that, or, you know, I, I wasn't raised to believe that. And so since I don't understand this, I don't want to accept what is being said. I don't like this scripture that talks about wives submitting unto your husband as you do unto the Lord. I don't like it. Some people don't like it. So they don't feel that they have to listen to it. So like Lot's wife, when she looked back, she looked back thinking about her old life, thinking about what she was giving up, thinking about all those, all those principles and, and pre-existing thoughts and belief systems that she had. Not following up what, what her husband is saying to her. Right? So sometimes we have to unlearn things that you that you think is right so that you can understand the things that is morally correct with God. God said, wives, submitting to your husbands as you do unto the Lord. The Bible says that a husband leaves his wife, I mean, leaves his father and mother as united into his wife and the two should become one. So how can you say, okay, I believe this part, but I don't believe the rest. Oh, you know, that does make sense. And so what we see in the video is that Jordan Peterson is basically watering a seed that has already been planted in Bill Mayer's life. And so when you think about watering something, that means that a seed has already been planted. That means the word was already planted. Someone else has already spoke to Bill Mayer. Somebody has already tried to speak to him about the word of God. They've, they've been speaking to him about the word of God. Some people, they go out and they speak the word of God and they plant seeds in the lives of people. So I can plant a seed and say, you know, God really does love you. Even though you may feel that God doesn't feel anything about you. You may feel that God ignores you. You may feel that God doesn't listen when you call on him. So with me saying to you, you know, God loves you. That is planting a seed. That is from God. So now someone else comes and they're like, look, look. I'm going to show you and tell you how God loves you. Think about all the things that God has done for you. So now God will use another person to help water a seed in your life. So it isn't like this is this is Bill Mayer's first time hearing about the word of God. This is, uh, in fact, you can clearly tell that he doesn't really is. He's too, he's not too fine about the Bible. He doesn't support his ideology. He doesn't, he doesn't support the uh, inspiration that is coming from God at all, right? But when um, Jordan Peterson is speaking to him, you can clearly see that he's watering a seed in his life. Like if someone was to water a seed in your life and tell you about all the different things about how God has saved that person or about how God has transformed the life of someone who was maybe a murderer or transformed the life of someone who was a victim of violence. So you hear these testimonies and now you're like, okay, now my mind, I'm transformed by this. Wow. God really helped you do that. God brought you out of that. So really it isn't um, Jordan Peterson that really should be, you know, like getting the full um, credit. It's really like he's speaking about the word of God. 
Um, but what type of uh, language is he using? Is he using exegesis or eisegesis? Which one do you think? And so, as I've already read what exegesis is, and I've read what eisegesis is, so I'm gonna I'm gonna explain it again in layman's terms. So, exegesis is the study of the Word of God exactly the way that it is written. Eisegesis is the study of the word of God to read and to in interpret through your own ideas, right? And so there's one way where we're led by the spirit and there's another way where we are just in led by our own thoughts, like, like as if Bill Merritt is speaking here. He says, you know, the, the, the Bible, he said the Bible was nonsense to him, right? And why is he saying these things? Because that's what he believes. And so let's, I wanted to go to another scripture and, um, but before I get there, let's go back to Genesis so that I can finish reading about, um, Lot and his wife. So in verse 26, we see that Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. She looked back. She looked back at her life. She looked back at what she was giving up. She looked back at all of these things. So many times we are going to go through life and we're, you know, we have these beliefs, we have these, um, you know, we have these uh, sort of habits that we've maintained, a habit of maybe just thinking logically and never thinking spiritually. You know, it's like, okay, well, the Bible says this, but I don't, you don't seem to understand it. So just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to understand it. God wants you to understand the word. But in order for you to understand it, I'm going to read some other scriptures that will help you be able to understand it. Okay. So moving forward into verse 27. So early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all of the land of the plain. And he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. So this is the reason why God brought Lot out. He brought Lot out because he remembered Abraham. God remembers his promise. God remembers what he wants for us, right? And so going back to what the way um, Jordan uh, Peterson explained, the way that he explained the book of Jonah. So I wanted to go uh, talk about Jonah in the way that he explained it. So let's look at this part. I'm going to replay it. This city, Nineveh. Because everybody in Nineveh is like, they straight off the path. And I'm thinking about wiping them out. But you can maybe go there and tell them like. How okay, but he says he's thinking about wiping them out. But God wasn't thinking about wiping them out. God wiped them out. <laughs> Clearly, that's what God did. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed them because they were um, committing too many abominations, you know. Um, and so I think that the problem is, is that a lot of people have an issue with the fact that there's consequences. There's consequences to your actions. And so like if it's just like if you're a parent, you, you can't say that you don't fully understand the word when you're when you grow up. Either you have a guardian which is your biological um relatives or it could be um your adopted family or you can have your biological parents but there's always an order 
Your parents tell you do this and you do it. Your parents tell you not to do this and you don't do it. So when you do things that are in contradiction to what you, your family or your, your guardian is telling you to do, then you're punished for those things, right? So for instance, if you go and um, you go and you get into a fight in school, now you're going to be in some trouble. You shouldn't be fighting that school. You shouldn't be harming another person. So there's consequences when you get home. You were fighting, you were uh, squirreling at school. And so now when you get home, it's going to be punishment time. No television, no video games, no none of those privileges that you had before. No cell phone, right? And so now you're going to be disciplined on those issues. In the same way, God, he loves us so much that he disciplines us. But some things, some people are... They don't belong to God, right? So if Bill Mayer is able to talk about um, how he agrees with Jordan Peterson, guess what? That means that God is already working in Bill Mayer's life. That means the word of God has been planted in Bill Mayer's life. That means that the seeds are being watered in Bill Mayer's life. Amen? So you have to understand that it doesn't matter if you are an atheist, if you are a non-believer or whatever it is that you believe in. God doesn't stop chasing you because you believe in something else. God doesn't stop, you know, um, coming after you with his love. He doesn't stop following you with his love. He doesn't stop chasing you with his love. He'll continue to do it over and over and over again. So it doesn't matter about what your pre-existing beliefs are. Right. He'll keep doing it up into the point of up into the point where you fully listen to him. And, and he will keep on chasing you. But we see like in Lot's wife, she looked back. She looked back on the life that she was giving up. She thought about those things. She didn't look forward like that. The angels of the Lord had commanded her to do. So it's like, okay, yes, God is going to continue to chase after you with his love. He's going to continue to be there and, and want you to do better. But it doesn't mean that he's going to force you to do it. He gives you free will. And so that's what happens when you become an emerging adult. When you become an emerging adult here in the land of the living, you go out here and you make choices regardless of whatever you were taught, regardless of your pre-existing thoughts and belief systems. Okay. So um, let me let me uh, replay some of this video. I'm foolish they are. They'll straighten up, and then I would have to destroy the city. Because and Jonah thinks that there's no one going to do that. First of all, Nineveh is a city of his enemies. Babylonia. It's 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 a city that he's right. not. Okay, so now he's talking about Jonah. So now I want to talk about the story of Jonah. So if you go to um, Jonah chapter one, chapter one chapter one through chapter four let's let's look at this now i like to read the bible itself because it's no better way to interpret the bible than to read it exactly for what it says and that is considered what exegesis right so i'm just going to read the word of god and explain it from what it actually says that's part of hermeneutics um of understanding the word of god so you look at the word of the lord um, in Jonah chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amadai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. 
So I was explaining this to somebody, I think a couple months ago, about the Jonah story. I um and I think I I did talk about this on my podcast too. Um so the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And so he wanted Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it because his wickedness had come up before him. So, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Tarshish. So understand this. Now, God is telling Jonah to go and tell these people, look, you're wicked. God wanted Jonah to tell, go to Nineveh and tell them, hey, hey, you, you wicked. You wicked. You wicked and wicked. <laughs> that's what God wanted him to do. And so instead of Jonah doing it, so Jonah's probably like, okay, well, God want me to go to Nineveh and preach against it. God wanted Jonah to preach against Nineveh and say, look, preach against them. It's basically because his wickedness has come up before me. So imagine you going to Chicago, Illinois, and you going on the south side or the west side of Chicago and you going up and down the street telling people, hey, you know, you wicked. And God is tired of you being wicked. Right. So this is what the Lord wanted Jonah to do. He wanted Jonah to go to the great city. So Nineveh was a great city and he wanted Jonah to preach against it because of his wickedness. So try to visualize what is happening here. So Jonah Instead of Jonah preaching against Nineveh, he ran away from the Lord, right? He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After he paid for the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So he thought that he could run away from God, okay? Now, many times people, it's like when God tell you to do something, it's like, okay, well, wait, God told me to do this. This is That's what you better do. Because you can't run away from the Lord. You can't get on a Metra. You can't get on a Greyhound. You can't take a flight through Delta Airlines and run away from God. Because you are what? You are afraid. The uh, Afraid of listening to what the Lord wants you to do. See, sometimes God will tell you to do things in a way that is, is very bold. But that's because if God has chosen you to do it, that means that you're bold enough to do it. That means you have the power that is within, within you that's greater than any power in this world. So you say, greater is the Holy Spirit. Greater is the power that is on the inside of me than the spirit in this world. So you can actually pretty much do anything because God has, has empowered you to overcome everything in this world. So Jonah was trying to run away from God. Basically, he was trying to catch a flight out, probably do like similar to Delta Airlines or something, you know. So after paying the fare on this ship that was bound for the port, he went and he sailed away to try to flee from God. He was running away from God. In verse four, it talks about then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So God was shaking and awakening them basically through this great wind on the sea. And there was a violent storm that almost threatened to break up the ship. So all the sailors, they were afraid. 
And so they cried out to their own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So they thought that by, you know, lighting the load, that it was going to stop God. But see, what they didn't know is that they, they were supporting a passenger. See, sometimes you could support the wrong people in your life. You could be supporting this person and that person. And see, all of these people, guess what? They could be running from the Lord. Like Jonah was running from God. But he on this ship with other people. And guess what? The, the ship is about to break up. So you have to understand that, yes, people are going to be afraid. They all are afraid because they don't know what is going on. So they, they start praying out to their own gods. Here we go again with that. Now, why do you think that they are on this ship? So it's, it's God is not just touching the life of Jonah, but he, he's also going to be touching the lives of these sailors. That that's, that's crying out to their own guys too. So you have to think like, okay, so God not only works in the lives of his children that he's called and chosen because Jonah clearly is called and Jonah is clearly chosen by God. It didn't matter that Jonah wanted to run away. What did God do? Chase him onto the ship. So just because you want a problem to go away or just because you think that you can ignore God or just because you like, okay, well, somebody didn't planted this seed in my heart, but you know, I still don't like that concept about the Bible. I still don't like this. I still don't like the fact that the Bible says that wives submitting to your husbands. So you a woman, but you don't want to practice what the Bible says. The Bible did not say woman to woman or man to man. The Bible says specifically what the Bible says. So in verse five, it says, now all the sailors, they were afraid. And so they started crying out to their own gods, right? And so they start throwing stuff into the sea to think they thought that the, the ship would be lightened. But Jonah had gone below the deck. Jonah really, really is playing, playing too much here. He run away from God when God tell him to go to the great city Nineveh. Then he go on this port, this ship. Now he thinking that you is out in the ocean. You is on the, you on the ship. And now you think you could go hide under the deck. So he go below the deck. And then he lay down and fall asleep into a deep sleep. So now he thinking that he could just go into this sleep. And then I guess he gonna wake up and it's gonna all be over. But in verse six, it says the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. So Jonah is he sitting here thinking that he could go to sleep on God? You think you could go to sleep on God? You think you could ignore God? You think you could forget about what God wants you to do? Do you think that you could just run away when God tells you to do something? Do you think you could keep ignoring God? 
So in verse 8, it says, I'm sorry, verse 9, it says, um, no, I'm sorry, 7, verse 7. Then, a, then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So no matter what he was trying to escape to, it doesn't matter where you go, where you get positioned. When God is chasing after you, he is going to speak to you. He's going to speak to you wherever you are. God is going to chase you with his love. God is going to continue to use his children to plant seeds into your heart, to water seeds into your life. So in verse 8, it says, so they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Now the people on the boat are like, look, I'm, I'm ready to go to war with you because you're not listening to God. So it's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. He ran from God, tried to hide under the deck of the ship and go to sleep thinking that it was going to go away. And now the people, the sailors are looking at him like, wait, wait, tell us what's up. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What for what people are you? So he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So guess what? Sometimes you can be around some people where the storm going to come upon you too. The storm can come upon you too. So don't let the storm come upon you because of someone else. And, and, and verse 13, it said, instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. So then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die from taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Do you understand this story? The story it's not only impacting Jonah's life, but it's also now impacting the sailors. The sailors that was just previously praying to their own gods. So God had to show them, God had to show them that, you know, he is the one and true Lord. God is the one and true Lord. So how was Jonah feeling? Jonah was being disobedient. And the way that the the way that Jordan P, P uh Jordan Peterson explains it, let's listen to what he says about this story. And so he thinks, right. well, you guys can go to hell in handbasket and if God wipes out, that's perfectly fine with me. Right. And then he also thinks, like any wise man would, it's like, I see, this is the task you have for me. It's like, there's 150,000 people there. I'm a foreigner. I'm a, um 
is Ray, is it me or are the angle the camera angles on this driving me nuts? No, like, what show? is what is this angle? Who directed this? I I think they were like, hey, who? <laughs> Cool. Like, yeah, the angle and with the bricks in the background, I'm like dizzy. Oh man. And and, and a great part, the second part, this is a really good conversation. You go there and tell them how they're misbehaving. <laughs> and that's gonna work out well for me. That looks great on Bill though. His guest looks awful, but Bill looks amazing. Yeah, Bill looks good. <laughs> so he thinks to hell with that. Like any sensible person would. That sounds good. And he doesn't say what he has to say. Right? So then he hops on the boat and gets the hell out of there. Well, it turns out that God's not very happy if you're informed that you have something to say and then you don't say it. So the storms come and the waves rise and now the ship's uh, in danger. Okay, so what does that mean? Yes, that's right. It means that if you don't say what you have to say when you're called upon to say it, you'll put the whole damn ship at risk. Now the soldiers figure this out. Interesting, right? Beautiful. The way he's pulling out. So, so what he's saying is you put the whole ship at risk. So the way that, what the Bible is saying here is that Jonah they knew that Jonah was running from the Lord because he told him so. So, see, when God's glory is moving from glory to glory to glory, it's not just going to impact one person's life, but it's going to impact the lives of everyone around. Every single person that is around. And so, when they threw him overboard, the, the sea grew calm. And these men feared the lord after that and so they offered a sacrifice to the lord and then they made vows to him these were unbelievers they didn't even believe in god prior to this incident now we see that now the lord provided a huge fish to swallow jonah and jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. So he's basically saying he's in the realm of the dead. You know, he feel like he's dead there. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. So he felt like he was banished from the sight of God. Yes, I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So you see, the sailors was praying to their gods while Jonah was down there asleep. He was, he was under the deck sleeping. See, because he didn't, he knew what his God was capable of doing. He knew that if God wanted to destroy him, that he would have already been destroyed. He knew that he needed to be thrown overboard. He knew all of these different things. Because why did he know? Because he believed in the God Almighty of the heavens who created the seas, the heavens and the seas. So in verse eight, those who cling to these worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. 
But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So some people say like what, let's go back to Jordan's perspective here. The value from this stuff, right, is, is, is very interesting. I will say he kind of drives it back to a very like self-serving, self-centered perspective. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he's able to extract value from this story is still fascinating. Absolutely. Or the sailors, they figure out oh, there must be someone on boat that like isn't right with God, and that's why we're in danger of being swamped. So they would go and ask everybody, and Jonah, to his credit, says, "He asked me, you know, I I had the voice of conscience made itself manifest to me. I had a task to do. I refused it. I'm screwing things up." And he parallels the voice. So the so God's it God to me isn't like the wouldn't be considered the voice of conscience. I believe that our conscious mind is something that allows us to understand knowledge. It allows us to understand wisdom. So it allows us to be um in the understanding of the spiritual realm and also of the earthly realm but your conscious could also be influenced by the earthly realm your conscious can be influenced by satanic powers that are lurking in spiritual realms so the voice of conscious isn't just a clear indication of you you speaking about God, the Father of heavens and earth, but the voice of conscious could also be the voice of Satan, right? We see, you know, like in the Quran, for instance, right? Um, in in the, the the nation of Islam, and we see how Muhammad was in a cave. And he thought he heard an angel and then the angel he heard again. And so the angel appeared to him. You know, so like what voice are you following? What voice is your driving force? What voice is your navigation system? Because if you say you believe in God, but you're not holding on to the principles of what the Bible says in James chapter one, Right in verse what what verse twenty two, but ye be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So if the Bible says in First Corinthians eleven and three that what I would like for you to what I want you to understand is that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. It does not equate to the head of woman being woman or the head of man being man so the bible is very specific about the practices that it speaks about so in verse 22 be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves so like for instance um in my church i know my pastor he talked about he talked about uh, a person that he spoke to so this is like third party like um what he's saying someone else said so um he said that he had spoke to a person that was that was gay and they told him like no matter what they try to do 
they do not know or feel any attraction for women. They don't feel it at all. They never felt it in their entire lives. And so you have to understand that our moral beliefs and moral um, compass is either going to be driven by something in the spirit realm. So your, your mind, if it is transformed, is it re if it's renewed and transformed by the word of God, you are not going to be deceived in any way. So I want to go to this other scripture before I um go in, into listening to anything else here. I wanted to go um so God abandoned them to. To their um, sin. So if you go to Romans. Let's go to Romans 1. 24 through 32. Let's go to Bible Hub. It says. Therefore God gave them over. In the sinful desires of their hearts. To sexual impurity. For the degrading of their bodies. With one another. That's the New International Version. The New Living Translation says, So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. The English Standard Version says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. The King James Bible says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. The Amplified Bible says, therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their own hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, abandoning them to the degrading power of sin. And so let's look at, let's also look at this. Um, so God abandons, abandons them, right? He abandons people to their own sin. So if you believe something and you rock in that way, God is going to let you do that. God isn't going to stop you. He isn't going to force you to love him. He isn't going to force you to be obedient to him. He isn't going to force you to deny your desires. He didn't force Eve to stop being pleased by what was enticing to her eyes. See, it's about how are you walking around? How are you coming? Are you really walking around being driven by your desires? Does everyone need to know what your desires reflect? So if your desires is your driving force, it's your navigation system. When do you allow God to come into your life? How do you think your life is going to change or, or be anything different? You only repeat the same cycles over and over and over and over again. Just with different people. 
you are recycling the mistakes in your life. So in order to understand what the Bible says, let's talk about this. They were deceived. They were deceived. Oops, one second. I'm trying to. Okay, here we go. So we're going to go to um, Romans 1 and 28. So Romans 1 and 28 says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they, they do what ought not to be done. So I'm going to go from 28 to 32. So um, I'm going to look at the NIV version. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent arrogant and boastful they invent ways of doing evil they disobey their parents they have no understanding no fidelity no love no mercy although they know god's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death they do not only continue to do these very things but also approve of those who practice them so you see, what God is saying here is that he just have given them over to they sin for desires. God has given them over, right? God has abandoned them to their belief system. So they continue to choose and choose and choose. And then what does God do? God continues to plant and plant and plant more of his seeds in their life. God continues to send people in their life to what? Water more seeds and water his word and water his word in their life more and more and more and more and more. Like over and over and over and over again, God is continuing to chase people that do not voluntarily love him back. God is chasing people that clearly are God haters. As it says in verse 30, Romans, this is Romans, um, Romans 1 verse 30. So God is chasing people that gossips, that slanders other people, that are arrogant and boastful. They, they are inventing new ways of evil although god abandons them he doesn't stop chasing them so going back to the book of jonah 
Yeah, Jonah was disobedient at first. And God didn't say, oh, 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 he might destroy the city. God didn't say that. I didn't read that anywhere in the Bible. So I understand Jordan's perspective. But it isn't exactly what the Bible says. And so it is very important that when we're analyzing the word of God and we're studying the theological practices of the Bible, we're analyzing the word of God from the perspective of hermeneutics using exegesis, which is reading exactly what the word of God, interpreting it exactly the way it should be interpreted through the Hebrew scrolls and in the Greek translations. So we're not looking at the word of God through eisegesis, forming our own hypothesis of what the word of God should say. We're reading it exactly the way that it is. And we're interpreting it exactly the way that it is. We don't need to speak the word of God to be shaped. We're not shaping the word of God in a way where it's meant to just please your desires. We are not speaking the word of God, the children of God. We do not speak the word of God to please you. We accept the word of God even when we are being corrected with the word of God. Because we are mature enough to know that a, 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 a father that loves you is going to correct you. A parent that does not correct you, how do you feel about that parent? So even though, it, even though it doesn't appease to your desires, doesn't mean that it's unethical, doesn't mean that it's wrong, doesn't mean that God has fully, uh, don't, that doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you. It means that you just not voluntarily loving him back. So it doesn't matter about where you go on earth, what geographical location you set up to be at. When you are called and chosen by God, God is going to use whoever, whenever, wherever. It doesn't matter about the geographical location you're at. It don't matter about your socioeconomic status and your level of income. It doesn't matter about your academics or who your network is. Because Jonah was in the, in the ship running from god bill mayer is calling the bible nonsense while jordan peterson is interpreting the word of god from the way he wants to interpret it his own ideas and perceptions calling using an analogy of god as the voice of conscience when in fact the voice of many people conscious are integrated with sexual immorality the voice of the conscience of some people are god haters so i'm not you you don't just say oh the voice of conscience without being specific this is the reason why we do not interpret the word of god in a way where we're interpreting or understanding it from eisegesis Discovering the word through your own ideology, ideologies. 
So moving forward, going back to Jonah. So the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. The word of God came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So after all of that, after all that running on the boat, hiding underneath the deck, trying to go to sleep on the boat, then the, the, the sailors not believing in God. Now they believing in God. Now, now God has used Jonah's situation to help save the soul, the lives of the sailors, because now they have vowed before God and now they're making sacrifices to the God of heaven, right? So in verse three, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. So remember this, Jonah was in the belly of the well, the, 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 the fish for three days and three nights. He went through all of this. See, sometimes you're going to go through situations. You're going to go through this relationship, that relationship. That person ain't going to listen to you. You don't understand why you're constantly going through all of these things. Because if you serve sin, you serve Satan. Period. So don't question whether or not you're wondering why your relationship the way that it is. Why you think your relationship the way that it is. When did you include God in your relationship? When did you include God in your finances? You working every single day to pay bills? Who told you that that was right? You don't work just to pay bills. God doesn't want you to live that way. You work to make investments, to pay your tithes and your offerings. But each time you get your work check, you forget about the tithes and offering, but you wondering why you struggling? How can you wonder why you struggling? You forget about the tithes and offerings that you supposed to be bringing into the house of the Lord. You forget about praying to God in your marriage. When did you include God in that decision that you made to move him into your house? When did you include God in that decision that you made to move her into your house? So now you out here making choices and decisions and you not including God in none of them. So then don't wonder why your life is the way it is. So when the, when the ship is moving like Jonah was on the boat, because he running from God, trying to avoid his problems, he didn't include God in his decision. He just got up and ran. He ran away, got on the ship, went on the port, and, and was about to get swallowed into a fish. All because he wanted to disobey God. So now we see in chapter 3 that he's obeying God now. So Jonah began by going to a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on a sackcloth. 
So when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. Now, understand this. Now, Jonah was already predestined that God to go out here to Nineveh. Even though he didn't want to, God continued to chase him. So God going to continue to chase you even though he abandoned you to your beliefs. Because if you're not authorizing the Holy Spirit of God to be the governing force in your life, then you can anticipate problems are going to keep coming. You can anticipate that them bills going to get harder and harder to maintain. You can anticipate that life is going to be harder and harder and more challenging and difficult each and every single day upon hour upon hour upon hour. Why? Because you're not including God and you're running away from what God is telling you to do. If you know the word, pick up your Bible and begin to understand what God wants from you. Quit calling on people more than you call on God. They came from the dust and will return to the dust. We all have human breath. You are not God. They are not God. They cannot solve your problems. So understand that the proclamation that was issued in Nineveh, it says this, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So when God saw, see, pay attention to verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So understand that yes. Jonah was not in no hell. Jonah was underneath the deck sleep. He wasn't in hell. He didn't even feel like he was in hell. Nowhere in the Bible where it mentions that he was in hell. So you have to understand that Jonah was on the boat. He was on the ship sleeping. Because he didn't even have a care in the world about running from God. He thought that he could run and get away with it. See, sometimes people think that they can keep on doing something over and over and over and over again. And you think you can keep getting away with it. But God is saying, no, no, no. You're not going to keep getting away with it. So they had to return, they had to turn away from their sin. So it says, but Jonah seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prays to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. 
There he made himself a shelter, sat in his shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? So this is God's second attempt at showing Jonah, look, stop being angry. So it is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? So you see, what's happening here is that Jonah, he was mad that God wanted to have mercy on Nineveh. So you can see, you see this, it's like, Okay, God has compassion. See, the, the, the problem here is that Jonah knew, Jonah knew how God was. But he still got angry because God didn't want to destroy the city of Nineveh. So, you know, you really, really have to understand that the Bible is so, it's so fascinating. That in order to understand it, you really got to be led by the Holy Spirit. So don't just listen to what people say about the Bible. Don't just go around just listening to um commentaries and stuff like that. Pick up the Bible yourself. You should. How do you walk around and not be equipped with the Bible on your phone? You have a Bible app. Read it. People can't help you beyond a level of their own experience they can't they can't give you advice past what they've been through they don't know how to get you to the next step but god knows so i'm gonna end with that tonight so thank you all so much for joining me let me go ahead and pray Father God, we just come boldly before your throne of grace. Thank you so much for giving us your word today, God. And we just, we, we want to pray for Bill Mayer and, uh, I'm sorry, Bill uh, Mauer and um, also Jordan Peterson. Father God, we lift them up to you. We ask that you just allow them to understand your word. Father God, allow them to be obedient to you, God. Allow the entire world the opportunity to change from following the, the voice of their flesh and follow the voice of the Holy Spirit, God, that you have given us access to. And so we want to thank you right now for giving us access to your Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us your word, God, which is inspiration and encouragement in our lives. So whatever we need to do in our life, God, to be obedient, to live a life that's favorable to you, to live a life that's pleasing to you, to live a life of abundance. God, we want to do it. So allow us to 
uh, always be inspired by you, encouraged by you. Let our interests align with your will in our life, your will, plan, and purpose for us, God. And also allow us to just, you know, just always be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, no matter what it takes, God, shaking and awakening us all, whatever it takes. We want your will to be done, not ours. So we want you included in our choices and decisions. God, please don't allow situations of, of us making choices that has led to recycled mistakes. Do not allow those.